Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Let's step into part two of this week of Devoted. Um, Everyone say, they devoted. And God added. Say God added. They devoted and God added. And so our responsibility in this walk of faith is to devote ourselves. God's responsibility is the results. Our responsibility is obedience. His responsibility is results. And so we see in the New Testament as the um, New Testament church, the first church is forming, that there is a devotion to the things of God, the people of God, and the mission of God that seems to be hidden, I don't want to say missing, but seems to be hidden at times in today's modern church. Would you guys agree that, that when we read the book of Acts, and I've encouraged you guys through this series, go and read through the book of Acts multiple times if you, if you want, and, and we will see a tenacity, we will see a passion, we will see a desire, we will see faith in the book of Acts that I think is not necessarily missing but it is hidden in today's church. And so we're gonna read this same passage of scripture um, again today that we read last week, Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47, just to kind of get this in our spirit, in our heart over the next several weeks. And it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, and to sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And when we look at this word fellowship, um, it's not the same meaning fellowship as what we take it today. Like most church advertisements, when they are having a church event, they say, come to this blank. There's going to be food, fellowship, and fun, right? We've all seen those advertisements. Come, there's going to be food, fellowship. And so what is that? In, in my mind, it, it kind of pictures a bunch of people sitting around drinking coffee, eating a meal together, having a conversation. But really, the fellowship that is being talked about here is a much deeper and a much intimate relationship than just hanging out together. Because when we think of today, fun, food, and fellowship, we think it's just, hey, let's get together and just hang out with our church friends. And it actually is something much deeper than that. And as they devoted themselves to these things, it says, a deep sense of awe came over them all. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord did what? He added The Lord added to their fellowship, their community, those who were being saved. And so they devoted, the Lord added. At the end of this series, if you remember nothing else, remember that. They devoted, the Lord added. 
And so last week we talked about what devotion looks like. Devotion requires some things. It requires some consecration that we separate ourselves from culture, that we set aside ourselves for a holy purpose, that we have to have the right motivation. We have to put this thing into action. We just can't talk about it. We have to be about it. We have to concentrate on it. Don't allow ourselves to get distracted by things that are, that are around us culturally, um, socially, that we stay concentrated on what the Lord has put before us, and then there has to be a perpetuation that it has to continue in those around us in our lives. Because when devotion stops, guess what? It is no longer devotion. And so we have to continue in it, and some, some days it's easier than others. Consistency is a very hard thing, and I think we overestimate what we can do in a short amount of time, and we underestimate what we can do over the long haul through living a life of devotion and consistency and faith. And so we're going to talk about today, it says that, they, that, that all the believers, all the believers devoted themselves, they all met together in one place, they shared everything they had, they worshiped together each day, they met in homes, they shared with great joy that that they were all together, that they all did this. And so it wasn't just reliant on us as individuals being devoted, but there was a community that was devoted because here's what we know, devotion is reinforced in community. Devotion is reinforced in community. And, and, and I'm not just talking faith-wise. If you think about things within our life, we find ourselves committed longer and more faithfully when we have other people around us that are committed to the same things. You know, there's, there's a gentleman here that's, you know, a part of our team and, and he's wanting to get back in, in, in fitness. And we all go through those seasons where we're really hardcore on it and then not so much. Really hardcore on it and then not so much. And he was like, you know what, I'm going to start working out with one of the other team members at five o'clock in the morning, and I'm gonna commit to be there with him. And because if I have to commit to be there with him and I don't show up, then I'm going to have let him down and he's there to encourage me. And so it helps when we have a community to help reinforce the devotion that we're trying to to walk out. And there's this idea in in psychology um, called herd mentality. Anybody heard of that, (laughs) right? It's H-E-R-D, and it means that, that we pretty much go the way of the crowd, that it is innate within us as humans to go the way that the majority of people around us are going, and that they, they've done these social experiments where they will put students in a classroom to show how this works, and they will put a problem on the board with two answers, and the professor will come in and ask which answer is the correct answer. And he plants people in the room to choose the wrong answer. And the number of people that are going to choose the wrong answer outnumber the people who have no idea what's going on. And so when he asks for the correct answer, he asks first for everyone that thinks the wrong answer is the correct answer to raise their hand, okay? And so what you see happening is people that are planted that know this is wrong, but supposed to raise their hand, they raise their hand, and you see the people who really have no idea what's going on, that there's a joke being played out, they start, is is it 
Is it? And then slowly everyone's hand raises on the wrong answer because we tend to conform to the majority. Would you guys agree? right? Most of us tend to conform to the majority. And so that's why when we put ourselves in relationship with people, we need to put ourselves in a relationship with the majority of the people who have the same values as us, the same beliefs as us that are going in the same direction as we want to go in. So devotion is reinforced in community. And so it's easier to go in the direction when other people are going the direction that you want to go. And I believe, I've said this the last several weeks, it's, it's really difficult to have a vibrant, growing faith and a relationship with Jesus without having that with a local church, without having that with the local church. And I loved during COVID, the church was able to pivot And we were able to reach so many people through technology and online streaming. But you cannot say you are a part of another church just because we watch it on our phones. That that is not a relationship. And I'm not saying, like, go tell your friends, because guess what? You guys are here. Let's go. You're here, right? (laughs) But but we know people, and maybe we've even felt guilty at that at times. It's like, well, I'm just going to listen to Stephen's podcast this week. I'm not going to go to church for whatever reason. The relationship is not just about hearing the word, listening to preaching, but it's about being in the room. And and I did a series last summer said that we are the church. And I said over and over and over, the church is a people that that, that we are a part of, a people that we belong to. It's not a place that we go to. And even when we think about American-like conversation, when we talk about church, we say, Where do you go to church? Like it's somewhere that we go to. In the New Testament church, it wasn't somewhere. They they went to the temples and they went to home, but the church was the community. They weren't devoted to attendance. They were devoted to belonging. And so many times we get caught up in just, just attending and going to, seeing something, hearing something, witnessing it, but it's about belonging to a building is nice. Good Lord, a building is nice, (laughs) right? We went and looked at another one last week, and I'm just like, Lord, that's not it. I would love to to be in here, but Lord, that's that's not it. And I just really felt like those of you who know, like I felt like that would have been our Ishmael, like we would have went there. God would have blessed us, but there would have been some headaches involved, Right? And some of you are like, just go there anyways, Pastor Stephen. Just, no, but but it's, it's, it's not a building. A building is nice, but it's not a necessity. Us in the room, like, like we, we are the church. And it says like Jesus, when he's talking about that, that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that word that's used is, is ecclesia and it's the called out ones. It's the gathering of those that have been called out, those that have consecrated themselves. It wasn't a fancy building. It wasn't a portable building. It was the people he's referring to as the people who accept me as the Messiah, who accept my forgiveness. It's on their hearts that I'm going to build my church and hell cannot withstand that. And it says they worshiped together and they met in homes. They worshiped together in the temple and they met in homes. And so... There is this divide in the American church on how to do church. There is what we call mega churches, and there are what we call home churches, 
right? We have churches that are 500 and above. We have churches that are thousands and above, and we have churches that are smaller but are growing. We have churches that meet in homes, and sometimes people in those churches can say, this is the only way to do church. And so it's an either or in our minds sometimes, but in scripture, it's not an either or, it's a both and. That we meet together corporately, but then we also take extra time and we meet together in homes. And maybe not a home, maybe it's a third space, like a coffee shop or a restaurant or a park, but the point is that, that we are coming together corporately, but then we're also meeting together separately. And, and, and different things take place in those different settings. So it says that they worshiped in temples. And so there's, there's something special about coming together with a crowd, and, and there's edification that happens in the crowd. Edification is, is, is a fancy word for build up, and, and it's the worship gatherings. Jesus was the fulfillment of what they had always believed as far as the New Testament church, Jesus was the fulfillment of their faith. So they didn't stop going to church. They didn't stop going to the, to the large gathering because they accepted Jesus. They started going even more because there was the fulfillment of what they had always believed. They understood that. And so they just didn't go on Sundays. When we read, it went, said they went to the temple when? You guys don't want to say because it's a challenge. They went daily. They went daily. And they had to walk there, right? They didn't have an air-conditioned carriage. They walked there. And then they walked home, but they stopped by the temple daily. Now, I'm not saying we're going to start like having church every day, but if revival broke out like it has in other places across this nation over the last year to where they met daily, could we prioritize meeting daily? I would love that because we would just set up and be like, Ricky, here's $10,000. We're not taking down, right? We're going to be here. all like, like, could we commit to that, to meet daily? Because what happens when we come together as, as, as a group, as a crowd, there's edification. There's, there's a building up. There's a, a calling up. There's a calling out. 1 Corinthians 14, when Paul has given some instructions to the church, he says, when you read, when, when, when you sing psalms, when there's prophecy, when there's tongues, interpretations, when there's teaching of the word, he says, do all of this in a way that it edifies the body, that it edifies, that it strengthens. So, so I will tell you that when you're not together with the body, you're missing some edification. Because just like what we sang about earlier, there is some faith in the room when two or three are gathered even more. There's some things that take place spiritually that you're going to miss out on. And it says that they went daily. They worshiped in the temple and they met in homes. And if here's the other thing, like, like here on Sundays, we want to celebrate what God is doing. There's celebration. We want inspiration to take place. We want the Holy Spirit to move on you, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to excite you. But we don't want you just to leave out of here on a Sunday morning feeling good. We want some transformation to take place in your hearts and in your lives, in our minds, renewing of the mind. And then we also want to see salvations happen. We want to see lives go from death to life in relationship with him. And that happens in smaller settings, but man, to celebrate that together, 
And how, like, like, I want every Sunday to be a party. And when you're not here, I want you to know that you're missed. You're here today, right? But there's somebody that you maybe sit around that's not here after service, text them and say, hey, we missed you at the party today. <laughs> we missed, like, what party? Like, I didn't get an invitation. Every Sunday is an invitation. <laughs> it's an open invitation. And so there's edification that takes, takes place with the crowd. On the flip side of that, you can also hide in a crowd. And there's some comfortableness in the crowd to where you're not seen, you're not heard, you're not challenged. And I've had some conversations with some people who have, who have chosen, and, and, and you guys know that I'm kingdom-minded, kingdom over castles all day, but we've had some people transition to a smaller church like us from a larger church because they know they've gotten comfortable at the larger church and they're just hiding. And they're wanting to go somewhere where they're seen and they're challenged. And, and so they're like, we just really need a smaller church for now. And so I always like, just so you know, I don't plan on staying small forever because God's doing something, right? But we're gonna create a culture no matter how, how big we get that you can't hide, that you can't hide. Because even though edification happens with a crowd, intimacy happens with a few. And it says that's, that's where they met house to house. They met house to house because intimacy happens with a few. That's why we need small groups. That's why we need serve teams. That's why we need friendships, relationships within the church, these connections where we're known and we know others. It's that, that's where that Kwanania comes, this, this fellowship that, that is not just surface level of food, fun, and fellowship. It's, it's you know everything about me. And, and, and you have opened your life, and I know everything about you, and there's no, no judgment. And, and for us guys to hear this word like, like you need to be intimate with us, like that's just like weird. I don't, I don't want any part of that. So, so it's just like we need a small group of people that we can just be real with, that we can be transparent with. You know, you talk about refrigerator rights. They can come to your house and open the refrigerator. You come in my house, you're not going to see a lot, right? Chocolate milk and some pickles, right? And leftovers. Anybody else? It's just like, like, I, like I remember just going and stocking the fridge and school started and the kids are just eating everything, right? But it's, it's where you invite people in and they have permission to not just see into your life, but also to speak into your life. And I will do as much as I can from the stage to encourage and disciple, but I get you 30, 45 minutes a week, and that's if you come every Sunday. That's if we come every Sunday. But we need something going on outside of Sunday mornings to help us stay devoted to the things of God, the people of God, and the purpose of God. And so we're edified within the crowd, but then we also find intimacy within the house. We just need, or within the few, we need people that we can just take our masks off when we're around them. Because it can be real easy to put our masks on on a Sunday morning. And we, we do our best to try to create a culture where you feel like you can leave your mask in the car. And, 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 and we speak that, yeah, life is hard, today's hard. You may not feel like singing, let us sing over you. Let, let the faith in the room be over you. But sometimes we still keep our mask on. And it's when we get around those smaller groups in the house to house that intimacy happens. And, and so within this community, Paul says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. He says, let us hold tightly 
without wavering, without letting go, without losing hope. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promises. Can not just like, like God can be trusted to keep, like let's hold on to that. Says God can be trusted to keep his promises. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Now, think about when Paul is writing this to the New Testament church, and he's even having to deal with church attendance. It's like small group attendance serves it like, like, let us not grow accustomed to not meeting together as some people have. But instead, let's encourage one another, especially now. All right, Paul is writing this then. He's saying, especially now that the days of his returning is drawing near. And what he's saying, let's encourage one another. Let's meet together, especially now since Jesus is coming soon. He wrote this over 2,000 years ago. How many of you think that Jesus may be coming sooner now than when Paul wrote this? So I'm thinking it's even more important especially in our culture today, that we are connecting, that, that, that we are gathering on Sundays and outside of Sundays for two reasons. As he's saying this, he says, let us think of ways to motivate one another. That when we're in community and devotion, there's encouragement in community. There's encouragement in community. Other translations say to like stir one another up, that we would like, like that's active, that's not passive, that's, that's we're walking alongside and we're encouraging. Or maybe when, when someone doesn't have the strength, we're behind them, we're pushing them, we're in front of them, we're pulling them, we're reminding them of God's goodness when they don't see it, when they don't feel it for themselves because we trust and we affirm that God can be trusted to keep his promises. And I want you, when you come here on a Sunday morning, that you leave encouraged. When you leave your small groups, you should leave your small groups encouraged. When we finish serving and you're on a serve team, you should leave encouraged because we're devoting ourselves to the things of God, the people of God, and the purpose of God. And there's joy that comes from that. Reminding each other of God's goodness. Um, show you what you're struggling to see, man. How many times do we need people just to point out the good that's going on? Like we get so, I can at times have a natural bent to pessimism. And I know some of you may not realize that, but if you ask my wife, there are times when I have a natural bend to pessimism and I only see the negative. And she helps me. It was like, Stephen, yes, it's this way, but also look at all of this. And so on Sundays and in small groups, we help people change their focus from pessimism, not just to optimism, but to the goodness of God, right? And so there's encouragement in community, but we just can't, and this is another struggle I have, we just can't always talk about the good. Paul says this in Hebrews 3.12. He says, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. Make sure your hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. He's saying warn one another so that you will not be deceived. I had a conversation this week about, like, about being deceived. How do you know that you're being deceived? Most of the time, you don't know you're being deceived until after it's already happened because that's deception. 
You don't know you're being deceived, and that's deception. And that's what sin does, is it deceives us because we don't see it. But when we're in community of other people devoted, they may see something we don't see because of our perspective, and they can warn us. It's like, hey, there's a cliff there, there's a cliff there, there's a cliff there. And then it's on us whether or not we listen. And so there's correction. We have a responsibility to warn each other. Um, And this is hard. Like, correction is hard for me. Like, this series is hard for me. I want to preach more fun stuff. But, like, like there there is a depth of devotion that we have to get to. And I don't just mean avenue. I mean, like, church big C that that we have to get to. And there's some correction that that has to come with that. Because one of the most loving things that you can do for the people that you care about is to point out the things in their life that's going to bring destruction. We would not speak very well of a doctor who was just very encouraging and very kind, but left cancer in our body because he didn't want to tell us about it. And it's the same way. Now, Jesus says, before you go to speak to someone else's problems, to get that speck out of their eye, take care of the log in yours, right? We do that. But he doesn't say, don't judge, don't correct. Just make sure you're taking care of yourself first. And so we have a responsibility not to bring condemnation. Listen to me, not to bring condemnation, but to bring correction, to bring alignment when we see that in other people's lives. That is the most loving thing that you can do. There's a story in Acts where um, Peter and Paul are having a meal with Gentiles. They're having a meal with Gentiles and they're eating together and then some Jewish believers come to dinner. They show up at the cafeteria and Peter gets up from eating with the Gentiles and goes and sits with the Jewish believers because he's afraid of what they're gonna think of him. Paul, who was added as an apostle after Jesus' resurrection, goes to Peter and corrects the guy, think about this, brings correction to the guy that walked on water out to Jesus. Peter has been walking covered in the dust of his rabbi, walked closely with Jesus, was there at the crucifixion, saw the resurrected Jesus. If anybody's got authority over someone, don't you think it's going to be Peter having authority over Paul? But Paul understood the importance of bringing correction in community, and and, and it says that he defied him to his face. He corrected him to his face. And so correction is important so that we can continue on the path of life. Now, let's get off the hard part, all right? One of the most beneficial things we can do is to bring correction at times in a loving way, to speak the truth how? In love. And so when there's encouragement and there's correction, our fifth value here at Avenue Church is we grow stronger in community. That when we are devoted in community, not just for the sake of showing up and singing some songs and hearing a sermon, but when we take time like we did during worship and we turn, even though it's uncomfortable, and we are encouraging each other in prayer and lifting each other up in prayer, we're no longer making it about what we are experiencing service, but we are lifting other people up. 
And so we are helping them grow stronger in that process. And then guess what we're doing? We're getting some reps in an area that we're not comfortable with and we're getting stronger in that. We grow stronger in community. And so the question is like, do you, do you have to go to church? Do you have to go to church to be a Christian? No. And yes. <laughs> right? Don't you love those answers? No. Like, like you can receive salvation. You can have a relationship with God. You can experience God. Um, I believe, like I've heard people say, I don't, I don't have to go to church. I can experience God out in nature. I can experience God on the beach. I can experience God on the golf course. I don't experience God on the golf course. People with me do not experience God on the golf course, <laughs> okay? <laughs> they experience the enemy, <laughs> okay, on so many levels. And I will absolutely agree with that statement. I will 100% agree with that statement. But if there are not spiritual disciplines and practices that are put into place, you'll experience God the first time. Skip church, go to the beach, go to the lake, experience God in all his beauty. But after so long, it's just gonna be another day at the golf course. After so long, it's just gonna be another day at the beach, another day on the river, and you will find yourself still in relationship with Jesus, but you will plateau in how your faith can grow and how it can flourish. And sometimes the um, excuse pastoring at a larger church. This was the excuse a lot. I just don't feel connected. I just don't feel connected. I don't feel like I know anybody. And, you know, we're even starting to get a little bit of that now as we're continuing to grow. And we're not even at like 250 yet. And two services ago, somebody texted me when they walked in. They're like, I feel like we're in a completely different church than we were at the beginning of the summer because we've had so many new people come. And it can be easy to say, I don't feel like I've connected or I'm connecting. Can I tell you that's laziness? Sorry. <laughs> Dang. That can be laziness on our part because a relationship is never one-sided. If a relationship is one-sided, you're never gonna be connected. That we have a responsibility. And so let's, let's, let's break it down for a moment. Um, in America today, Statistics show that the average church attender, someone who considers himself a regular church attender, they attend church twice a month. Twice a month. It's like 50%, let's go. 12 months in a year, okay? There's roughly 52 weeks. If you're going twice a month, what's the math on that? How many times in a year? Huh? 26. If you're going twice a month, 24. Maybe on the week, like five-week month, you slide in a third time. Let's go, right? 24 to 26 times that you're coming. You guys are here. So that, let me say this, that we're coming and we're connecting with the body where Christ is the head. Most Sunday morning church services, I go long sometimes now, are an hour and 15 minutes. If you come in, if we come in at the end of the countdown, middle of the first song, we're not seeing anybody. 
we're not making any connection. We're coming in, we're hearing a message, we're listening to some music and maybe singing along. There's no relationships being formed. If you come 24 times in a year, you're spending one 24-hour period with the people that we're supposed to be in Kwananea with and fellowship with. How strong is that relationship going to be? Not very strong. Not very strong. And I think about some of the deepest and most special relationships that I have in my life. There's years involved. There's hours involved. There's laughter involved. And it says they went to the temple daily. I'm not asking us to come daily. I'm asking us to come three times a month, four times a month, 52 times a year that we come together. And, and please know my heart on this. And you guys are here, so high five yourself. Let's, come on, let's break the ice. High five yourself, all right? You guys are here today. But I know that there are times when you're not, and I get life happens but I think we should prioritize meeting with the body and connecting with the body as much as we prioritize other things in our life, right? Yeah. And that it's this meeting, this coming together that is going to bring encouragement and correction and sustainability. Like there are things that my family has been through through the years and I can't imagine going through that without knowing that there is a group of people, intimacy with the few, that I can lean on, that I can lean into. But then there's also a crowd that I can step into and allow their prayers and their praises to wash over me. And it says that, that they went daily and they rejoiced. And going to church for church's sake is of little use. And so I don't want you to think that's what I want for us. I don't want you just to show up because Pastor Stephen said so. That doesn't work. As a matter of fact, that's probably even gonna be a deterrent and a deficit. I met with a young leader this weekend and was talking about, about leadership and, and he was asking about authority and I told him, and I'm like, if, if your answer is always for people to do something is because I say so, that's lazy leadership. I don't want you to do it because I say so because when I'm no longer here saying it, I still want you to be doing it because I believe in it, right? I'm gonna get ready to close, so John, come on, right? Instead of asking this, instead of asking, do I have to be in church? Instead of asking that question, do I have to be in church? Maybe it's a better question to ask. Can I live out my faith and maintain spiritual growth in isolation? I believe that, yes, you can grow to a certain point, but I believe without a vibrant relationship with a church, not church attendance, that your relationship with Christ will plateau because you don't have others around you lifting you up and encouraging you. In the scripture in Psalms, it says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It's not a building, it's a people. Because Paul says over and over that, that you are the temple. You are the church. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. One of the things I get a lot um, as people visit is how welcoming our church is. Like how well, like, like everyone's so friendly, it's so welcoming. And so thank you. 
Thank you. And it's not just the serve teams. Like when people come in, just the atmosphere in the room feels like home. Like we've gotten that. But there's some, some shifts we've got to make in our mindset to help people take their next step. And that's moving from just being welcoming. And I've been telling our team this for a while. Shift from just being welcoming to inviting. Being welcoming is passive. You can smile. You can shake a hand. I'm glad to see it. That's welcoming. But to create an inviting culture means you have to step forward and you have to bring them in. You have to step forward and you have to bring them along. Like, I don't know. I don't want to be intrusive. Be intrusive. Their eternity may be counting on you being intrusive. Their joy for the moment may be counting on you being intrusive. I sent this to our youth leaders a few weeks ago. I would rather live with the pain of awkwardness because I'm having to force myself inviting people in than to live with the pain of regret because I didn't do that when I had the opportunity to do that. And so listen, church, like, like going into this new season, this fall semester, like as, as we're kind of re-engaging, I want us to be devoted to these things because it's not just about us. It's about the person sitting beside you, behind you, in front of you. It's about the people who will be here at the second service. It's about the people that aren't even here yet that God is sending. That we devote ourselves and God adds. So just to repeat real quick, starting today, starting today is a seven-week devoted challenge, seven weeks of church attendance. You guys have the first one in the bag. Six more to go. Let's go. Seven weeks of getting here seven minutes early, staying seven minutes late, introducing yourself, getting someone's name. Invite seven friends to church, seven people that you know don't have a church home. We're not taking from other churches, but someone who does not have a fellowship to be a part of, start giving of your finances. We'll talk about that in the next few weeks. You know, trusting God with just something. We don't talk about money a lot, but I know that I've experienced blessings from God as a result of my consistency and my generosity. And maybe you're already giving, but God's nudging you to up your generosity a little bit. Seven weeks of seven minutes of prayer and seven minutes of Bible reading. Maybe you're doing some of these things, but you need a little bit more challenge, so we're gonna fast from something for the next seven weeks, whether it's food or media, and then small groups are launching in the next couple of weeks. We're gonna commit to joining a small group, not just, not just hiding in a crowd, but being seen in a few, being known. And then next week, we're gonna talk about serving, and that as we go into this season and people are coming, Jesus turned and looked at the crowd, and he saw that the harvest was plentiful, but the workers were few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into his field. This isn't my field. This isn't my church. This isn't your church. This is his church. This is his field. And we need laborers and workers in the field for the harvest that God is sending here. And I believe if we do these things, guys, with all my heart, as we devote and we get reps in, as we strengthen, God's gonna add those that are being saved, not just those that are, moving here, but those who do not have a relationship with Christ that enter from death to life. And that's what I want to see in us. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I come to you this morning. I thank you so much, God, for what you're doing. God, I thank you for the hearts that are here. 
God, I just pray that something that was heard today, whether in worship, whether in the message, that, that we would just stir one another up through the power of your spirit and the power of your word, that we would stir one another up to acts of love and good service, that we would commit to community, that we would be devoted to be together, all together in one place when we can, in the crowd for edification and celebration and inspiration, but God, also in, in the intimate relationships with the few for encouragement and correction, because it's all apart. Discipleship comes in the form of relationships and community. And so God, I pray that our hearts would be humbled and softened to walk in this in this season, to allow you to bring us to a greater relationship with you, that our relationship with you would be vibrant and flourishing because of our relationship with the local church. And God, if there's anyone here today that does not know you, I pray that they know that they are welcomed here. They are accepted here because you love them. You have forgiven them as they surrender their life to you, as they repent. God, as they turn from their ways to your ways. God, that any shame or guilt that they felt up until this point will be removed because of your unconditional love and the sacrifice of your son. And we thank you. We thank you in Jesus' name.